And so it is. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. It is a beautiful day, is it not? We are, uh, I'm just going to say, if you have relatives elsewhere, don't brag too much. You may not be spreading joy. So, uh, and as one who was just in the Midwest a, a, a little over a week ago, trust me, you don't want to hear about this when you're there sometimes. And sometimes you do. For those of you that I don't know, my name is Nita, and it is uh, it is the very wonderful and cool thing I get to do on Sunday mornings to be here with all of you. And it is good to see some of you that I haven't seen for a while. And, uh, you know, I was off, uh, as I mentioned last week, I was off a couple of weeks back at Unity Village participating in the admissions process and evaluation process for new ministers. And that's just a little bit of a strange thing. Having been on the other side of that table, now I get to be on this side of the table again. And uh, and it is always good to be back with you. Each week that we come together, we affirm truth. And when we use the word truth, we actually mean something very specific. When we when we say truth in, in new thought, in unity, what we're talking about is not stuff that we think is just only true for us, but truth, with a capital T, if you ever take classes that you'll see it used, is that in the realm of the absolute that does not change, that that is true for you, for me, for everyone. Now, our relationship to that truth changes as we grow and as we learn we look at truth from a different perspective in a lot of the moments of our lives. I'm sure that most of you have had the experience of having a moment where everything was just fine and dandy and wonderful, and then all of a sudden you're just kind of in that, what the heck is going on mode. And the fact, and here's the difference, facts change. Our emotions change, our feelings change, our thoughts change. Truth does not change. If the truth that we affirm for ourselves is true, then it must be true for everyone everywhere, no matter how they're showing up in life. Because let's be honest, we all have times that we don't really show up the way we want to show up either. So we come together on Sundays, and it's especially appropriate at this time of year, which is the Lenten season, This affirmation and denial, it's actually both, is our community's evolution of a statement that is in Charles Fillmore's book, Keep a True Lent, and the statement in his book was an alteration and evolution of a verse in the Bible. And I'm through quoting that verse because I quoted it wrong so long and so many times. Um, If you really want to know what it is, Ask me afterwards and we'll figure it out together. Or better yet, ask someone like Sue Nias, would you know where that is? Okay, somebody brought me in a, Gretchen I know brought me in a little, there was a a word a day, Bible verse a day calendar and it came in and she brought it in one day and she said, is this the same book that you've been saying all that time? I was like, no, that's okay. So when we affirm this truth, what we are doing is we are allowing ourselves to go behind the personality that we live life with, and we're allowing ourselves to 
drop away for a few moments all of the beliefs, all of the faulty thoughts, all of the all of the distortions of the lenses through which we look through life. You know what I mean by that? You know, we all are looking through these eyes. That's one of the reasons I love that song we just sang. We are looking at the world through these eyes. And sometimes we see well, and sometimes we see not so well. And when we affirm truth, we are affirming the truth that never changes, that is always true of each and every one of us, and that we frequently forget as we look at outer events. So I invite you at this moment to just allow yourselves a moment to just breathe that sacred breath. Allow yourself to just for this moment center into the truth that is always within you, And if you are willing to do so, speak these words with me. Releasing the things that are behind, I realize I am strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. I am the infinite, expressing at the point I am. I am peace in the midst of all matters. And that is truth. We claim that good. We release whatever doesn't serve us anymore. You know, and we do that with gratitude. All of us at some point in our lives reached a point that we had to let go of thoughts and beliefs that no longer served us. And sometimes that kind of comes as a big like aha moment. Sometimes it comes as sort of a duh moment that we just realize that we're still hanging on to things that we really haven't believed for a long time. And sometimes it comes as a oh-my-goodness moment because we realize at some moment that we are being, we are following some urge within us, some divine urge within us to be more, to express more, to show up more authentically in our lives to give more of ourselves. And the image biblically, for those of you who who enjoy tracking back to Bible symbology, and again, in unity and new thought, we do not look at the Bible as the literal word of a deity named God. We look at the Bible as a collection of stories that have been written by humans walking their own unique divine path. And in these stories, we can find truth reflected. In the story of John the Baptist, there comes a point in his ministry, and if you don't know who John the Baptist was, we're told the story that comes down to us is that he was a cousin of Jesus and that he was a very, I'll just say, passionate advocate for growing spiritual truth among people. And a lot of people thought that maybe he was the Messiah, and they would ask him about that. And his response, we are told, was that no, he was not the Messiah, that in fact he had to become less and less and less so that the Christ might appear and become more. And, of course, some of you know, even if you've only ever watched Cecil B. DeMille movies on Easter, Um, You may know how John the Baptist ended up 
which was that he lost his head. And symbolically, what this means to us, as we look at the story metaphysically, is that we each have to come to that point where we let go of the thoughts and beliefs that are in our head that are keeping us from living in our hearts. There's an old, old proverb, and I won't even begin to attribute it to anybody or anything. There's an old, old proverb that the most difficult and the longest journey that humans will ever take is the 12 inches from their head to their heart. And I I believe that is true for most of us. I think it is a difficult thing. So when we come together and we affirm this kind of truth, what we're doing is we're saying, I know that in my head I have all of these thoughts of not enough, not good enough, I'm right, they're wrong, this thing is just so horrible it could never be uh, it could never be forgiven. This person is so terrible that I don't even know how they get to breathe air. And and that somehow there's all of this chaos happening and breath. <sighs> I am peace in the midst of all matters. And so as we learn to let go of those thoughts that do not serve us, this is how we begin learning to truly be peace with every step we take. So I've been focusing on some basic unity practices. And I say unity, but it involves, you know, they're new thought practices. Um, we don't, Charles Fillmore never claimed that he invented anything new when he started unity. And in new thought, today, this idea that we can change our thoughts and that changing our thoughts will indeed change our lives is the core of what has come to be called new thought. So Ernie, I'm going to have a couple slides here. So our basic practices this week is to recognize that thoughts are actually things. Now, I know that when I first heard this, that was like the stupidest thing I'd ever heard in my life. What do you mean thoughts are things? Thoughts aren't things. They're just thoughts. And, and the thought that you could learn how to control your thoughts was even crazier than the fact that thoughts were things. When I first encountered this, I had such deeply ingrained habitual thoughts in my life that it was a simultaneous, what drew me to new thought was on some non-verbal level, I knew that something was wrong in my head. And you know, that's not a happy realization to have. When you realize that something is just not right in your head. And I didn't think I was necessarily mentally ill, although I have come to recognize that I have, I have had periods of depression in my life and I was never I never was invited to work with that because, and this kind of goes to uh, our outreach for NAMI every year, the National Association for Mental Illness. Um, you know, Nan talked to us last week, and I'm not going to go too far down this path, but I shared an experience that she spoke about last week, which was when I was in high school, one of my instructors sent home a note to my dad that she thought, that in the aftermath of, a, of my mother's death and all this stuff in our family, 
that I would probably benefit from some counseling, some psychological counseling. My dad, when I gave him that letter, read it and said, oh, sweetie, that's very nice of her, but, you know, we don't do things like that. We take care of our own. Because at that point, getting any type of mental therapy was very much stigmatized. And and in my own self, everything about me was screaming out, please, 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 please. I knew this, but I was a good girl. So when he said, oh, that's nice, sweetie, but, you know, we take care of our own and threw the note away, um, I knew that somehow at that point it was going to have to be up to me to figure out what to do. And that, that was not very reassuring to me at that point in time. But it did put me on a journey that I was already on but unaware of. And it took me, an, you know, quite a few years before I ultimately found new thought. And when I found new thought and heard that the thoughts in consciousness are actually taking up space and having an effect on my life, and when I heard further that I could learn to change those thoughts and in that manner change my life experience, that was just, well, that that was it. That, That was the hope, the seed, the everything that I glommed onto at that point. And that's been, you know, that's been about 50 or so years ago. So it's been a it's been a day or two that I've been working with these things. So next slide, please. Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore, in his book, states, thoughts are things and occupy space in the mind realm. They have substance and form and may easily be taken as permanent by one not endowed with spiritual discernment. So what he's saying there is until you get that these that thoughts are things and you can change, you may be living with the belief that you have developed that whatever that soundtrack in your mind is, too tall, too short, too thin, too fat, too rich, too poor, too much this, not enough that, you may simply be living with a belief system that tells you that's just the way you are. And nothing is ever going to change that. However, as he says, they may easily be taken as permanent by one not endowed with spiritual discernment, and they bring forth fruit according to the seed planted in the mind, but they are not enduring unless founded in spirit. And that was a shocker to me. I could see the part about they bear fruit according to the seeds that were planted. I had a whole lot of not enough, not enough kind of seeds growing in my consciousness. And what that, what the fruit that that developed was, was a really highly developed need to be right and to be perfect. How well do you suppose those beliefs have served me? Not very. And they still crop up. I still find myself having to remind myself, you do not need to be right in this case, and you do not need to be perfect. And I know that's the truth now, but the fruit that was sown, that grew from those seeds of not enoughness, are still there. 
And so what we do is we learn to work with them. Next slide, please. Thoughts are alive and are endowed by the thinker with a secondary thinking power. And this is where you kind of have to put on your, okay, ears. So thoughts are alive and are endowed by the thinker with a secondary thinking power. That is the thought entity that the I am forms assumes an ego and begins to think on its own. Thoughts also think, but only with the power you give them. So what this kind of boils down to in today's language would be on some level we come into life clear, knowing our wholeness, our completeness, our perfection. And usually we're about that big. And as we grow bigger, the people in our lives who love us want us to be safe. They want us to know how the world works. And they proceed pretty systematically to convince us that there are times that we need to be in fear, that there are things we have to learn how to do or something, some sort of terrible circumstance is going to go wrong. They teach us or we absorb the lesson that there's never quite enough to go around. You know, especially if you had a lot of siblings, you learned a lot about not necessarily enough to go around. So simultaneously not enough to go around and be nice and don't take the last of anything. And so everybody's sitting around the table wanting that last piece of pie. And finally, mom or somebody says, well, is anybody going to eat this pie? And everybody's still being nice. And nobody gets the pie. So, what we're saying here is that as we grow to adulthood, and remember, those people loved us. I know that some of you have terrible, horrible, awful stories about parental figures in your lives who did not treat you well. I know that. And most of us had parents who really did want the best for us. They didn't mean to instill lifelong fear by telling us that we couldn't cross the road without looking both ways. But the message that many of us got was that every step is fraught with danger, that there's never quite enough to go around, that we have to always be more and do more, be better somehow to measure up to expectations, And so the human ego that has developed within each one of us, which is necessary, unity and new thought is not a system of belief that says we need to kill off the ego. We have those human egos for a really good reason, which is we're human. We're living in a world of human life, and we need to know how to get to work on time, how to pay our bills, how to interact with each other. We need what the ego does for us. However, the ego doesn't necessarily evolve as quickly as most of us do. And we have physical parts of our brains. We still have that amygdala, that lizard brain within us, which is always, almost always on high, high alert for saber-toothed tigers. Now, the reality is there hasn't, the saber-toothed tiger hasn't actually been seen as a threat, for a few years now. (laughs) But we are still on high alert. 
And so even if there are no saber-toothed tigers, there are people at work who are just out to get you. There are drivers on the road that just want to make sure that you don't get where you want to go. There are people in your family who just have been holding you down your whole life and no matter what they say to you, you perceive them as a threat. And what has happened here is that as our ego developed, as thoughts from our loving parents and other resources, and most of us in this, in this room, most of us have grown up also with the effect of television and the media and advertisers, and we won't even go down all those paths, but we need to acknowledge too that that has been sending messages into our mind as well. And so what has happened is we have gone from a point at some point in our unique knowingness of knowing that we are strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit, we have moved from that into believing that we're not quite good enough, probably never going to be good enough. A lot of people are out to get us. We have to be better than everyone else, that if I'm right, you're wrong. If I have enough, you don't have enough. Or if you have enough, then how come I don't have enough? that competition weighs in where we are and that we are all subject to any number of named and nameless physical maladies for which some pharmaceutical company probably has a treatment. And so what happens when our heads are filled with those kind of thoughts, we don't recognize the errors in our thinking. And what happens through the law of mind action, is that the thoughts we hold in mind tend to reproduce after their kind. You know, it's just like mama, mama doggies and daddy doggies have baby doggies. And, you know, pears come from pear trees. Thoughts of lack, limitation, anger, discord, competition are not going to magically create thoughts of wholeness. Do you see how that makes sense? So if you have been holding thoughts that are negative, what is happening now is those thoughts are thinking new thoughts of negativity. And until we stop and we examine those thoughts and we question our unquestioned beliefs, we are just going to keep on going down that same path. At a point, and, I, and this happens with everybody, I believe it happens with every single solitary human ever born, there comes a point where we wake up one day and go, I wonder if things could be different. And then what happens? All those thoughts in your head go, no, this is just the way it is. We've made it just fine this far. Don't be rocking the boat. How many of you have had that voice in your head? Absolutely. So what we need to do is we need to begin an intentional practice of questioning our thoughts, of looking at our belief systems, of actually sort of fact-checking ourselves. Um, you know, facts can change in an instant. Today we actually have a new category of fact, which is called alternative facts. And the thing is, there is no alternative truth. We are all allowed to believe anything we want. We are all allowed to think anything we want. 
truth does not care. That one power, that one presence, that infinite that is the core, the essence, the truth of us, that which is what we are expressing in every moment at the, pl- at the point of us, that which is our ability to be peace in all matters at all times, it does not change. It comes from love. It comes from peace. It comes from knowing enoughness. It comes from being aware of our inherent goodness. If we believe that whatever that is that may be called God is good, there is no way that we could be anything other than good. And absolutely, positively, any thought, any belief that you hold to the contrary is an error. And we can address errors. Another place in Fillmore's writings, he he reminds us that, that when we find these error thoughts, which in some faith traditions are called sinful thinking, we have chosen to name them errors, that we do just as a child does when they're learning mathematics. You know, when a kid gets a wrong answer on a math question, nobody sits there and says, you are such a bad person. You just shouldn't even be breathing. You should just, what do we do? We say, eh, try it again. And they have this wonderful little tool at the other end of their pencil that's called what? An eraser. And they erase the wrong answer, rework the problem, and come up with a better answer, a correct answer. And so, in fact, that's what we do when we are training our thoughts. The main way that we can train our thoughts is to develop a meditation practice that allows us to observe our thoughts. Because if you don't meditate, you probably think that when people meditate that their minds become this glassy, still pond, and that everything is just peaceful and wonderful. I guarantee you, if you were to take a picture of all of us meditating in this room and we could see thought balloons, there wouldn't be enough room for the people. But the thing is, when we move into meditation, we allow those thoughts and we see them and we let them pass. We learn to let them pass without attaching to them. And it's not easy to do that. But what you will find as you are still and you observe your thoughts is that you'll see that they tend to be the same thoughts over and over. Did I turn off the stove? Did I really turn off the stove? I wonder if my house is on fire. I hope the neighbors see that the house is on fire and call the police, call the fire department, because I'm not going to know that for two or three more hours yet. And did I, did, did I, did I close the door? Did I, and you go through these whole things because what's happening now is your thoughts are thinking. That's what we're talking about. Your thoughts are thinking. So as we move into this time of quieting, If you think that your brain should be at peace, that it should be clear, and that you should be in absolute stillness, and if that happens for you, yay, you. And with training, eventually you will learn to reach that still point. But at this point, I'm going to actually invite you to be thankful for all of the thoughts that intrude on the stillness. And see if you can identify even one that you would like to let go of. 
So it always helps if we simply relax. So in this moment, just do that. Just relax. Take the breath. (sighs) If you have things in your lap that don't need to be there, put them aside. Your little pieces of paper, you don't need to read those now. That's just to take home and remind you what we talk about today. And just breathe. Simply taking three full breaths will do remarkably wonderful things for you physiologically. So we breathe in and out fully. Breathing out fully enough that your shoulders actually relax is like bonus points on relaxation breath. So that's our first step is simply to relax. And our next step is to begin focusing on what our other co-founder, Myrtle Fillmore, called the Godward direction. And so for me, it is helpful to play music. It is helpful to sing. It is helpful to have some type of a mantra. And if you don't have one, just say, when my mind wanders today, I'm going to say, peace be still. Or I'm going to say, love. Whatever is best for you. So if you wish, as we hear the music, feel free to sing and we simply become still together for a little real-time thought observation. world as it is go inside to find my God I will leave this world as it is go inside to find my God I will This world as it is, go inside to find my God. I will leave this world as it is, go inside to find my God. Inside there is peace. Inside there is joy Inside there is more than enough Inside there is peace Inside there is joy Inside there is sacred love I will be this day I will leave this day as it is, go inside to find my God. I will leave this day as it is, go inside to find my God. Inside there is peace, inside there is Inside there is peace Inside there is joy 
I will leave this life as it is. Go inside to find my God. Life as it is, go inside to find my God. Go inside to find my God. I'll go inside to find my God. So again, remember that three breaths. See if for just three breaths you can keep count. In breath one, out breath one. In breath two, out breath two. In breath three, out breath three. And we allow ourselves at that point to begin a deep relaxation. If you already have a practice, I just invite you to begin that practice of moving into quieting. And if you don't, maybe just allow yourself to imagine your heart as one of the organs that actually breathes in your body. And in a sense it does. So focus on that space of your body where the heart lives and just allow yourself to feel love. Maybe you're envisioning a grandchild's face or a puppy you had when you were eight or a special place on the planet where you know peace. But as you feel that deep love and appreciation in your heart, Just allow that to expand, to radiate from your heart area all the way through the rest of your body. And as we enter into this time of silence, when thoughts come up, perhaps just ask, is that really true? you might be surprised at the answer. Ask yourself, do I really believe this thought? Is it helpful? Does it serve me? Does it reflect truth that I know? And as you fact-check your own thoughts, ask yourself, if not, am I willing to let it go? So we simply breathe together in this space in silence.
within this opportunity of pausing, of allowing ourselves to be still, to relax, to bring our thoughts into alignment with truth, and perhaps to recognize a thought that no longer meets the standard of truth within our consciousness. We realize that as we examine the activity of our own mind, that we are capable of choosing again. We are capable of choosing a new thought. We are capable of planting new seeds in consciousness and growing new, better fruit in our lives. And as we come to more fully understand this truth, we give thanks that it is so. We give thanks that we can change our thoughts We express our appreciation within our own bodies, within our own minds, for all of the good which is present. We allow ourselves to shift focus to good and to bless all of the good that is in our lives. Somehow all of these circumstances of our lives have allowed us to come together here in this time, in this space, with these friends, and simply know truth. We give thanks that we are strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. And we give thanks for the peace which is always present. And we claim that peace for all of those for whom we pray. We know for them as well that they too are strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. And we hold in our hearts as well those with whom we may share troubled relationships, those that we may have held in our hearts as somehow wrong, and we know that in truth they also are strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. And we give thanks for that truth. We give thanks for all of the opportunities that we have to live this truth, for every opportunity to hold others in our hearts in prayer for every opportunity to simply share love in consciousness, for every opportunity to be peace in the midst of all matters. And no matter what direction our lives may have taken, we know at a very core, deep level that this truth is true. We claim it. We know that it is so, and so it is. Amen. To simply wrap up the day, you should each have received either a white or a green piece of paper. 
And there are some thoughts here that I hope you'll look at during the week. And kind of just every now and again, and sometimes I will even set an alarm on my phone so that as I'm driving home or something, the what is in my head right now alarm comes on. And just check yourself every now and again. Where where are your thoughts hanging out? Is it where you want your thoughts to be? Do your thoughts reflect your highest core values for yourself and for everyone else? And if not, then give thanks for that awareness because now you can question it. Now you can begin to do that weeding process of allowing the thoughts that do not serve you to be replaced by thoughts which are more productive. There's also a couple of practices here. And this remains, I think, one of the most effective metaphysics 101 practices that there is. If we have a cluttered mind, it has somehow shown up in your life as clutter. That's just the way it is. It it is. If you have a drawer, if you have a closet, you know, and I'm going to suggest start with one drawer. One drawer, don't say I'm going to clean the garage today. You just will get upset and I'll probably never see you again and you'll be thinking ill of me. One drawer. Maybe even just the stuff that's in the floor of your closet. Maybe just the laundry room. I don't know. One little thing. And the way that order works in the world is divine order doesn't just happen. Divine order is not magic. There is nobody up there sprinkling the the ordered dust. The little glitter fairy is going, oh, okay, your life is now orderly. You have to claim it. And we can, we can claim it. Yes, yeah, Sharon, we can claim it. But we have to take action. So find some area of your physical life that is not expressing the order you would like for it to do. Maybe you have one desk on your office. Um, if you would all like a snapshot of disorder, I could send you a picture of my desk right now. Uh, then the disorder that has, that is currently at it after two and a half weeks of having to be elsewhere. Um, and I'm doing that. So that's your homework this week. Think about your thoughts. Now when was the last time someone gave you homework to think about your thoughts? But that's what we do here. Clean a clutter drawer, you know, put your shoes in order, make a donation to someplace. And and just be on the awareness that when you hear that looping at three o'clock in the morning, you could change that because you can. Thank you, everyone.